Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to another edition of the Northern Exposure Podcast. I'm your host, Jay North, coming to you live from the corner office. And we are two days removed from the first presidential debate or the first presidential shit show slash train wreck, however (laughs) you want to perceive it or however you perceived it, I should say. But thank you so much for listening. A um, couple things motivated me to do this podcast. Originally, we were just going to sit here and make fun of the debate. Um, but then a couple things I encountered along the way as I journey through social media. Um, I'm like a hawk. I like to kind of read articles, watch videos, this and that. came across a video of a gentleman named Kelly Cash who was uh, educating a couple friends of his as he was trying to get them to register to vote, this and that, about the different origins of the political parties. And uh, he had mentioned everything the Republican Party was actually doing uh, for African-Americans. So I thought, you know, this is interesting because I think a lot of people, there's also another gripe going on that the two-party system is the exact reason of why we are the way we are right now. A lot of people put a lot of blame on the two-party system and, you know, now it's leading to shortcomings. So I thought, you know, Let's dig into it a little bit deeper. Let's uh, let's go into the history of the Republican Party. Let's do the history of the Democratic Party, and let's make a podcast episode out of it. Um, and I'll reference that all of this information is coming from history.com. But I thought it would be, you know, kind of cool to take a journey back in the past. In order to uh, know where you're going, you got to remember where you came from. So. Without further ado, let's get into it. We'll start with the Republican Party. I'll give you the history of the Republican Party. We'll take a quick break. I'll wet the whistle. And we'll come in. We'll talk about the history of the Democratic Party. Because the other thing that's getting thrown around is this election draws nearer. Many Americans frustrated with the two choices that we have. Um, you know, as this, this is draws nearer, we'll kind of let you know, because people are saying, I'm going to vote for uh, the ideology of a party, not necessarily the candidate. So that's that's another thing that I've been hearing the last couple of days, people throwing out there, well, I'm going to vote for an ideology and a party platform, not necessarily this person. So interesting. So let's go back to the origins of these platforms, shall we? The Republican Party often called the GOP, which is short for Grand Old Party, is one of two major political parties in the United States. Founded in 1854 as a coalition opposing the extension of slavery into Western territories, the Republican Party fought to protect the rights of African Americans after the Civil War. Today's GOP is generally socially conservative and favors smaller government, less regulation, lower taxes, and less federal intervention in the economy. So here's the first Introduction paragraph on this article here on history.com, the history of the Republican Party, what the GOP stands for. One thing that jumps out to me, you notice it was founded in 1854. So at that point, our country is 78 years old. Um, So to me, that's important to kind of keep in the back of your mind. These parties haven't necessarily been around since day one. So that's interesting. Early political parties. Though America's founding fathers distrusted political parties, It wasn't long before divisions developed among them. Supporters of George Washington and Alexander Hamilton, who favored a strong central government and a national financial system, became known as Federalists. By contrast, Secretary of the State Thomas Jefferson favored a more limited government. His supporters called themselves Republicans or Jeffersonian Republicans, but later became known as Democratic Republicans. Following me? The Federalist Party dissolved after the War of 1812, and by the 1830s, 
the Democratic Republicans had evolved into the Democratic Party, now the main rival to today's Republicans, which initially rallied around President Andrew Jackson. So the Democratic Party, as we know it today, here's its baby seedling, 1830s. Okay, the party as it stands, 1830s, the origin for the Democratic Party. Opponents of Jackson's policies formed their own party, the Whig Party. And by the 1840s, Democrats and Whigs were the country's two main political coalitions. So it's the 1840s, you got the Democrats and the Whigs, Republicans not even thought of yet. Interesting. Slavery and the Republicans. In the 1850s, the issue of slavery and its extension into new territories and states joining the Union ripped apart these political coalitions. During this volatile period, new political parties briefly surfaced, including the Free Soil and the American Know-Nothing parties. I'm not making this up. They're called the American Know-Nothing party. Uh, I'm going to have to look those guys up. Holy cow. That's a hell of a name for a political party. Know-Nothings. All right. Very good. In 1854, opposition to the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which would permit slavery in the new U.S. territories by popular referendum, drove an anti-slavery coalition of Whigs, Free Soilers, Americans, and disgruntled Democrats to found the new Republican Party, which held its first meeting in Ripon, Wisconsin that May. Two months later, a group met in Jackson, Michigan, to choose the party's first candidates for statewide office. So 1854, Kansas-Nebraska Act, they want to permit slavery into these new U.S. territories. And this is what kind of made people say, wait a minute, no. All right, let's get into it a little more. However, it's been argued that the Republicans, and this is me, this isn't the article, I want to just make a point here. It's been article, uh, argued that the Republicans didn't actually do anything in, re in reform to abolish slavery. And the article goes on here to say, the Republican goal was not to abolish slavery in the South right away. I think right away is a key word. Asking why is a good question. Uh, but rather to prevent its westward expansion, which they feared would lead to the domination of slaveholding interest in national politics. So basically, the way I interpret this, and everybody has to interpret what they read in their own regard, but the way I interpret this is they were afraid that this would basically become a country built on the backs of slaves. That's sort of what it sounds like when, when I'm reading into this, which when they flipped the bird to the king and queen back in 1776, it was the, um, the class system that was really annoying to them. They didn't like that. They felt they, like they were enslaved to the king and the queen almost in a respect. So this is, an, this is interesting as you get into this. And again, take, take, take in the context of time period, we're going back into the 1800s here. So... You're relying on, you know, ink on a newspaper to get your news and get your information. And if you wanted to hear a candidate speak, you, you had to go and listen. So this is this is interesting stuff. Uh, so here we go. 18. In, OK, sorry, I lost my spot there for a minute. So in the 1860 election, a split between Southern and Northern Democrats over slavery propelled the Republican candidate Abraham Lincoln to victory, though he only won around 40 percent of the popular vote. So, as of right now, if you're on the side of civil rights, social justice, and equality, this is an important situation where the Electoral College actually did its job. You may, you know, the same argument. He only won 40% of the popular vote, but he won the electoral. So, interesting. Even before Lincoln could be inaugurated, 
Seven Southern states succeeded from the Union, beginning the process that would lead to the Civil War. <clears throat> so basically, the Republican Party didn't want to be a nation built on slaves. This is the way I interpret it. And people in the South did not like that. Um, again, these are prominent, elite, rich plantation owners. So this would be your first big business, you know, back then, if you, if you can imagine it. So here we go. Reconstruction. Over the course of the Civil War, Lincoln and other Republicans began to see the abolition of slavery as a, as a strategic move to help them win the war. Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, and by war's end, the Republican majority in Congress would spearhead the passage of the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery. So, was it necessarily on the front of his mind, or was it driven by politics? That can definitely cause a debate for that. So let's see, frustrated by the inaction of Lincoln's Democratic successor, Andrew Johnson, as well as the treatment of freed blacks in former Confederate states during the Reconstruction era, radical Republicans in Congress passed legislation protecting the rights of blacks, including civil rights and voting rights for black men. Um, so this is interesting here. You almost start to see a divide in the original uh, Republican Party and its concepts. These people were obviously considered radical. They're labeled right here in the article as radical Republicans because they wanted to pass legislation protecting the rights of blacks, civil rights, and voting rights. So it's interesting. Here we are back in the 1800s, and they're talking about this. And you go all the way into the 1950s, 1960s, and you're still dealing with segregation. So 100 years after they're doing this, we're still dealing with some issues, obviously. Um, these Republican Reconstruction policies would solidify white Southerners' loyalty to the Democratic Party for many decades to come. Uh -huh. During Reconstruction, Republicans would become increasingly associated with big business and financial interests in the more industrialized North. The federal government had expanded during the war, including passage of the first income tax, and Northerners and northern financiers and industrialists had greatly benefited from its increased spending. So that's an interesting article, too. That kind of shows you going back then, or an interesting part in the article, I should say. It goes back then to show you how the Republican Party sort of became the businessman's party. It starts as early as the industrial period here. As white resistance to the Reconstruction solidified, these interests rather than those of blacks in the South became the main Republican focus. And by the mid-1870s, Democratic Southern state, legislature, state legislators blah, had wiped out most of the Reconstruction's changes. So there's an interesting uh, little conundrum there. So Republicans were moving for more rights for blacks. White resistance to uh, the Reconstruction got stronger. Uh, and then by the 1870s, Democratic Southern state legislators had wiped out most of the Reconstruction's positive changes. Interesting. Progressive Era and the Great Depression. Because of the Republican Party's association with business interests, by the early 20th century, it was increasingly seen as the party of the upper class elite. Kind of what I was just saying a minute ago. With the rise of the progressive movement, 
which sought to improve life for working class Americans and encourage Protestant values such as temperance, which would lead to the prohibition in 1919, some Republicans championed progressive social, economic, and labor reforms, including President Theodore Roosevelt, who split from the more conservative wing of the party after leaving office. Republicans benefited from the prosperity of the 1920s, but after the stock market crash of 1929 ushered in the Great Depression, many Americans blamed them for the crisis and deplored their resistance to use direct government intervention to help people. This dissatisfaction allowed Democrat Franklin Delano Roosevelt to easily defeat the Republican incumbent, uh, Herbert Hoover, in 1932. So the country got angry with the Republicans sort of felt that the government let the people down during this time. But you have to remember when you go back to the original birth of the Republican Party, they didn't want big government. They didn't want big government intervention. So to me as a person, it makes sense why there was financial investments in the business, ultimately making them become the party of the elites. They didn't want to be indebted to the government, so to speak. They didn't want the people to be indebted to the government. And that's how you kind of get into that. Money has to come from somewhere. So, you know, we always try to say when you're when you're digging into things, you got to follow the money. Emergence of new conservatism. The relief programs included an FDR's New Deal, earned overwhelming popular approval, launching an era of democratic dominance that would last for almost the next 60 years. Between 1932 and 1980, Republicans won only four presidential elections and had a congressional majority for only four years. So that's a hell of a period of time. And the Democrats pretty much were driving the bus exclusively, is the way that interprets to me. Through the centrist Republican Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was president from 1953 to 1961, actively supported, uh, I'm sorry, let me start over there. Though the centrist Republican Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was president from 1953 to 1961, actively supported equal rights for women and African Americans, a conservative resurgence led to Barry Goldwell's nomination as president in 1964, continued with Richard Nixon's ill-fated presidency, and reached its culmination with the election of Ronald Reagan in 1980. The South saw a major political sea change, starting after World War II, as many white Southerners began migrating to the GOP due to their opposition to big government, expanded labor unions, and democratic support for civil rights, as well as conservative Christians' opposition to abortion and other culture war issues. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, that's a... Uh, sound familiar, guys? <laughs> Meanwhile, many black voters who had remained loyal to the Republican Party since the Civil War began voting Democratic after the Depression and the New Deal. Republicans from Reagan to Trump. After running on a platform based on reducing the size of the federal government, Reagan increased military spending, spearheaded huge tax cuts, and championed the free market with policies that became known as Reaganomics. In foreign policy, the United States also emerged the victor in its long-running Cold War with the Soviet Union, but as the economy began to show signs of weakness, the growing national debt helped foster popular dissatisfaction with Reagan's successor, George H.W. Bush. The GOP recaptured the White House in 2000 with a highly contested victory of Bush's son, George W., over Democratic contender Al Gore. Though initially popular, particularly after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, the Bush administration lost support thanks to growing opposition to the war in Iraq and the faltering economy during the Great Recession. 
After that, Democrat Barack Obama became the first African-American to be elected U.S. president in 2008. The rise of the populist Tea Party movement harnessed opposition to Obama's economic and social reform policies to help Republicans gain a large majority in Congress by 2014. The 2016 election in which Donald Trump defeated Hillary Clinton left Republicans in control of the White House, Senate, House of Representatives, and a majority of state governorships. Democrats gained control of the House in 2018 midterm elections, and in September 2019, a formal impeachment inquiry was launched against President Trump for allegedly attempting to involve Ukraine in the 2020 presidential election. President Trump was impeached on December 18, 2019, on two articles, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. On February 5, 2020, the Senate vetoed or voted to acquit Trump on both charges. So this is the history of the Republican Party in a nutshell. Hopefully you guys follow along. Good talking points. Very interesting. Um, 78 years into the history of the nation before the party actually formed, and it went through some changes. Looks like originally in the beginning, uh, they definitely did not want expansion of slavery. It sounds to me like they were concerned that this country might have been one built on the backs of slaves if they didn't step up and do something. Um, so again, very interesting to see some of the shifts in there. And another thing that was interesting to me is you read how long uh, here that the Democrats actually were in control of things. So interesting because we have these conversations amongst our friends, colleagues, coworkers, or whatever, that we think parity in politics is really important. But as you see, there hasn't been a lot of parity in U.S. politics uh, and that's not that long ago when you're talking, you know, a period of time from 1932 to 1980. It's a long time. So 1980, almost my lifetime, guys. I'm going to be 40. So interesting. That's the history of the Republican Party in a nutshell. Again, the source is history.com. I still appreciate the history, uh, history channel, discovery channel. They still kind of give you the facts, very unbiased, and just kind of lay it out there for you. Going to take a quick break. Segment two, you already know what it is. I'm going to give you the history of the Democratic Party because, again, the argument that I'm hearing people have over the next couple of days is, I'm not voting for the candidate. I'm voting for the party. Well, let's learn about it. We'll be right back. All right, we are back. So I hope you enjoyed segment one. That was the history of the Republican Party. Again, history.com is my source for this information. I'm basically reading you an article. It's like story time. But I just think it's really important now as the political landscape in America gets more and more volatile. They try to divide us more and more and more and put us all into these different boxes. I think it's very important to know where each party actually stems from. What, what are the origins of these parties? Um, who are they, more or less? So here we go. This is the history of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is one of the two major political parties in the United States and the nation's oldest existing political party. After the Civil War, the party dominated in the South due to its opposition to civil and political rights for African Americans. After a major shift in the 20th century, today's Democrats are known for their association with a strong federal government and support for minority and women's rights, environmental protection, and progressive reforms. Though the U.S. Constitution does not mention political parties, factions soon developed among the new nation's founding fathers. The Federalists, including George Washington, John Adams, and Alexander Hamilton, favored a strong central government and a national banking system masterminded by Hamilton. 
But in 1792, supporters of Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, who favored decentralized, limited government, formed an opposition faction that would become known as the Democratic Republicans. So there you have it. By the third election in our U.S. history, Thomas Jefferson, we have what is known as the Democratic Republican Party. I'll also point out, too, once upon a time, the first two elections, they actually tried to have the losing candidate be the vice president to the winner. That obviously went away a long time ago, <laughs> but they did that for a minute. So anyway, uh, despite Washington's warning against the danger of political parties in his famous farewell address, the power struggle between Federalists and the Democratic Republican Party dominated the early government. With Jefferson and his supporters emerging largely triumphant after 1800, the Federalists steadily lost ground in the early 19th century and dissolved completely after the War of 1812. This is the Jacksonian Democrats. In the highly controversial presidential election of 1824, what, you mean controversial elections aren't new? Four Democratic-Republican candidates ran against each other. Holy crap, they had four. Though Andrew Jackson won the popular vote and 99 electoral votes, the lack of an electoral majority threw the election to the House of Representatives, which ended up giving the victory to John Quincy Adams. In response, New York Senator Martin Van Buren helped build a new political organization, the Democratic Party, to back Jackson, who defeated Adams easily in 1828. So, kind of got screwed in 1824, gets a little help, new Democratic Party, we're going to back Jackson, that's Martin Van Buren, and then Adams looks like it whooped his ass in 1828. After Jackson vetoed a bill renewing the charter of the Bank of the United States in 1832, his opponents founded the Whig Party, led by Senator Henry Clay of Kentucky. By the 1840s, Democrats and Whigs were both national parties with supporters from various regions of the country and dominated the U.S. political system. Democrats would win all but two presidential elections from 1828 to 1856. So that's pretty good. Civil War and Reconstruction. In the 1850s, the debate over whether slavery should be extended into new western territories split these political coalitions. Southern Democrats favored slavery in all territories, while their northern counterparts thought each territory should decide for itself via popular referendum. At the, at the party's national convention in 1860, Southern Democrats nominated John C. Breckinridge, while Northern Democrats backed Stephen Douglas. The split helped Abraham Lincoln, candidate of the newly formed Republican Party, to victory in the 1860 election, though he only won 40% of the popular vote. Hmm. The Union victory in the Civil War left Republicans in control of Congress, where they would dominate for the rest of the 19th century. During the Reconstruction era, the Democratic Party solidified its hold on the South, as most white Southerners opposed the Republican measures protecting civil and voting rights of African Americans. By the mid-1870s, Southern state legislators had succeeded in rolling back many of the Republican reforms and Jim Crow laws enforcing segregation and suppressing black voting rights would remain in place for the better part of the century. Okay, 
So when you hear people talk about Jim Crow, this is where it comes from. Okay, there we are. There you have it. So, all right. And again, we're talking about something that's, you know, this is 150 years ago. So three generations, four, you know, lifetimes, I should say. Progressive era and the New Deal. As the 19th century drew to a close, the Republicans had been firmly established as the party of big business during the Gilded Age, while the Democrat part, Democratic Party strongly identified with rural agronism and conservative values. But during the Progressive Era, which spanned the turn of the century, the Democrats saw a split between its conservative and more progressive members. As the Democratic nominee for a president in, in 1896, William Jennings Bryan advocated for an expanded role of government in ensuring social justice. Though he lost, Bryan's advocacy for bigger government would influence the Democratic ideology going forward. So here we are, 1896, William Jennings Bryan, he wanted an expanded role of government. Hmm. Sound familiar? Guys, seriously, sound familiar? When, when you listen, again, I know sometimes it's hard to listen to Trump and it's hard to listen to Biden. And when you put both of them on the same page together, it's very tough. But I'm looking at this stuff and I'm seeing that it's, it's all pretty consistent leading up to this with ideologies and whatnot. So here you are. Um, OK, so the you know social justice was a talking point. Bigger government was a talking point, And this was 1896. All right. So Republicans again dominated national politics during the prosperous 1920s, but faltered after the stock market crash of 1929 and on the onset of the Great Depression. In 1932, Franklin Delano Roosevelt became the first Democrat to win the White House since Woodrow Wilson. In his first 100 days, Roosevelt launched an ambitious slate of federal relief programs known as the New Deal, beginning an era of Democratic dominance that would last with few exceptions for nearly 60 years. So pretty much 1932 to 1990, 1992, the Democrats are dominating. Here's a cute name, Dixiecrats. <laughs> Roosevelt's reforms raised hackles across the South, which generally didn't favor the expansion of labor unions or federal power. And many Southern Democrats gradually joined Republicans in opposing further government expansion. Then, now, guys, I'm going to stop there, too, because with some of the conversations that have come across on social media, people recording themselves having these conversations, I have seen just this, where some people are starting to go, eh, I don't want that big government. So it's interesting. It, how much have we really changed? Then in 1948, after President Harry Truman, himself a Southern Democrat, introduced a pro-civil rights platform, a group of Southerners walked out of the party's national convention. These so-called Dixiecrats ran their own candidate for president, Strom Thrumond, governor of South Carolina, on a segregationist state rights ticket that year, and he got more than one million votes. So here we are. That's 1948. All right. Most Dixiecrats returned to the Democratic fold, but the incident marked the beginning of a seismic shift in the party's demographics. 
At the same time, many black voters who had remained loyal to the Republican Party since the Civil War began voting Democrat during the Depression and would continue to do so in greater numbers with the dawn of the Civil Rights Movement. There we go, Civil Rights Era. Although Republican President Dwight D. Eisenhower signed civil rights legislation and sent federal troops to integrate a Little Rock High School in 1954, it was Lyndon B. Johnson, a Democrat from Texas, who would eventually sign the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Acts of 1965 into law. Upon signing the former bill, Johnson reportedly told his aide Bill Moyers that I think we just delivered the South to the Republican Party for a long time to come. Over the course of the late 1960s and 1970s, more and more white Southerners voted Republican, driven not only by the issue of race, but also by white evangelical Christians, opposition to abortion, and other culture war issues. It's going on right now. Here we go. Democrats from Clinton to Obama. After losing five out of six presidential elections from 1968 to 1988, Democrats captured the White House in 1992 with Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton's defeat of the incumbent George H.W. Bush, as well as third-party candidate Ross Perot. Ah, oh, Ross Perot. Can I finish? Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually wasn't a stupid guy, but most you know self-made billionaires aren't. Uh, Clinton's eight years in office saw the country through a period of economic prosperity, but ended in a scandal involving the president's relationship with a young intern, Monica Lewinsky. You couldn't have an article about Bill Clinton without talking about Monica. Clinton's conduct in the affair led to his impeachment by the House in 1998. The Senate acquitted him for the following year. Uh, excuse me. Al Gore, Clinton's vice president, narrowly captured the popular vote in the general election in 2000, but lost to George W. Bush in the Electoral College after the U.S. Supreme Court called a halt to the manual recount of disputed Florida ballots. Remember that? Some of you don't. Some of you, it's too, too long ago, you were too young. But there was a scandal back in 2000. Midway through Bush's second term, Democrats capitalized on popular opposition to the ongoing war in Iraq and regained control of the House and Senate. In 2008, Senator Barack Obama of Illinois rode a wave of popular discontent and economic concerns during the Great Recession to become the first African-American U.S. president. Opposition to Obama and his policies, particular health care reform, fueled the growth of the conservative populist Tea Party movement, helping Republicans make huge gains in Congress during his two terms in office. And in 2016, after a tough primary battle with Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton captured the Democratic nomination, becoming the first female presidential nominee of any major party in U.S. history. But against most expectations, Clinton lost in the general election that November to a businessman and reality TV star Donald Trump, while Republican gains in congressional elections left Democrats in the minority in both the White House and the Senate. Ah. 2020 Democratic candidates. The slate of candidates running for president for the Democratic Party as of October of this is last year, 2019, included Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, Pete Buttigieg, I don't even know how you say it, Kamala Harris, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Cory Booker, Andrew Yang, Amy Klobuchar, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who I actually really, really liked her, and uh, Tom Steyer. I liked Tulsi, but they, they shut her up really quick. Uh, unfortunately. So, and there you have it, folks. That is the history of the Democratic Party. So I thought it was important to 
you know, get into this segment, get into a conversation about that. Um, just so we could kind of see we the people, because as more time goes by, we kind of forget about the past. We forget about the evolution of the politics and how we have gotten there. There's a lot of things going on in, in, in society right now that it mirrors this stuff a little bit. So I just think it's always important. I don't want to use the word that's cool. It is cool to know your history, uh, actually. But this is just a very simple way to kind of explain how these parties got started. We know the Democratic Party is the oldest one. We know the uh, Republican Party, that was 1854, um, how it was founded, and, you know, what it's based on with conservative values, uh, less government, you know, that kind of thing. So you really see the key talking points of what actually drives people. And in reading this, one thing that jumps out to me is that you can see that, like, social justice issues and economics have always been political. Like, that's what you see here. Now you fast forward to 2020, where everybody basically has a computer in their pocket, i.e. a smartphone, and information as well as misinformation can travel at the speed of light. Um, so it's, listen, I don't always complete my sentences perfectly when I'm, when I'm giving you guys these things, um, but I like to digest this information and kind of see especially when people are saying when they go to vote on November 3rd, they're going to be voting for nece not necessarily the candidate or the person. They're going to be voting for the platform, for the party, uh, and for the future, because that's the direction that they want to go. So hopefully things can start to uh, become a little more respectful, uh, not between the candidates. I think that's a lost cause, but just between people in general, guys. I'm going to leave you with this. There's been a lot of toxicity out there. People are fighting over these politicians Going the blows, man. And I got to ask you, for what? For what? The person that you're going to vote for, they might appreciate your vote, but they're, they don't know you. Okay? They, they're, they're, their job is to get elected. We've seen in the past, politicians will say whatever they have to say to get elected. Again, originally, I was going to talk about the debate on this podcast, but I was motivated more to do a little history we could talk about the debate later, and there's going to be two more debates as there is. So there'll be plenty of time to talk about debates. But I just really wanted to get into it. There's your two parties. Those are your two major political parties in the United States of America. That's how long they've been around. That's you know who kind of moved each piece, if you will, on the chessboard into directions. You learned about the Whigs. You learned about the Federalists. You learned about the American know-nothings. And I, Jesus, I got to look those guys up. The Free Soilers, I got to imagine they were farmers. Uh, I got to look those up too. I mean, that's something that, you know, they just mentioned the name, but you don't really know like candidates that were associated with those parties or e even what their platform was. So I'm going to dive into those just as a fun thing to do because I'm kind of a nerd. Um, but that's just it in a nutshell, guys. So the biggest thing I could say is uh, don't get caught in the media trap. Social media can be toxic. Our news medias can be toxic. Um, we know that the medias are controlled by just one or two billionaires. So there is a little bit of a media uh, information manipulation, we'll call it. Uh, we have seen some censor uh, censorship on social media. That is a fact. None of the, I'm not making any of this up. Um, so just, you know, observe your communities, have conversations with your neighbors, be nice to one another. I feel like 98% of this population is beautiful people. They just want to do their thing, 
If you have a family, great. You want to raise it. You want to raise it with love. If you if you live in a community, you just want to get along with your neighbors, friendly, wave, smile, say hello. That's it. You know what I mean? So I'm going to leave you all with that. Um, in other news, I know you guys have been enjoying when my buddy Eddie Paquette gets on here. So guess what? You're going to hear a lot more from Ed. Uh, he is basically going to become the regular uh, guest on this podcast when I do have guests and I do like to have that second voice on the microphone. So stay tuned for more Ed. And you guys have enjoyed Ed. So we'll keep giving you Ed. How many times can I say Ed? All right. Until next time, Exposed Ones. Oh, you can find me on Spotify. You can find me on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Anchor. And you can also support the podcast if you so choose and help me put these kids through college. On Spotify, you can see that there is a support the podcast tab link and you could click on that and you can make a monthly donation if you are so uh, inclined to do so. I appreciate you guys. And until next time, stay tuned for the next edition of Northern Exposure. Be good. Hey guys, Jay North again. Just want to give you some bonus content. It dawned on me as I was concluding that podcast that there are a couple things. If you if you got anything out of the debate the other night, there was a couple things that were thrown around in between all the arguing, um, and that was this crime bill of 1994. So I realize some people that are out there, you're you're you know you might not be familiar with it. I want to tell you what it is. This is what they're talking about. You can get all this information on Wikipedia. Um, but the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994, this is its official title, is an act of Congress dealing with crime and law enforcement. It became law in 1994. It is the largest crime bill in the history of the United States. It consists of 356 pages that provided for 100,000 new police officers, 9.7 billion in funding for prisons, and 6.1 billion in funding for prevention programs, which were designed with significant input from experienced police officers. Sponsored by U.S. Representative Jack Brooks of Texas, the bill was passed by Congress and signed into law by then-President Bill Clinton. Senator Joe Biden drafted the Senate version of the legislation in cooperation with the National Association of Police Organizations. And that is the beginning definition of the um, Crime Act of 1994 that is getting brought up. So, and again, there's all the information is there on Wikipedia. You can go look it up yourself, but I wanted to share that with you because sometimes it's just easier to listen to it. But again, folks, I always encourage you go do your own research. And then I know we had just mentioned in the previous segment, uh, the Jim Crow laws. And I realize that some people might not be familiar with what what's going on with Jim Crow laws, what that actually means when that gets referenced to. And the Jim Crow laws uh, were state and local laws that enforced rate, they enforced Okay, racial segregation in the southern United States. These laws were enacted in the late 19th and early 20th centuries by white Southern Democrats, uh, white Southern Democrat-dominated state legislators to disenfranchise and remove political and economic gains made by black people during the Reconstruction period. The Jim Crow laws were in force until 1965. So that's the definition of Jim Crow. I'm going to give you one opinion. <clears throat> And that's why I made the little uh, remark I did when Lyndon B. Johnson uh, basically got rid of these and made the comment that he would basically give the South to the Republicans in doing that. Because um, remember, they were Democrats first. So when you argue, did uh, Lincoln do what he did more politically than morally? You can also argue the same thing about then 
President Lyndon B. Johnson when he uh, sought out to remove some of these things. Just interesting, the history and the tangled web and all this stuff. So I want to give you some bonus content there, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show. Again, I don't claim to be an expert on all this stuff. I'm like you guys. I'm trying to make my best educated decisions when it comes time to go vote um, and do our civil duties. And all this information is at your fingertips. It just takes a little time. Dive into it. Wikipedia is a great source. History.com, always a great source. I can rely on them they're fact checked and a lot of this stuff at least i'm lucky enough to have learned about that stuff in school uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what my kids get into as they get to that age but uh, i think it's watered down a little bit and this stuff is important so again thank you all so much god bless have a great day we'll talk to you soon